When you get into the room to have a difficult conversation, there's three key elements you need to bring with you. First of all, you need to know what your North Star is. What is the change ultimately that you're trying to affect? Then you bring with you the vehicle that you're going to use to get towards that change. That's the message that you're going to deliver. And then thirdly, you're going to have to bring with you the ability and the skill set and the preparation to know how to navigate towards that result. That's the focus for this episode, which is the second in our three parts about uh, difficult conversations. Hi, I'm James, and this is Paved with Good Intentions. So we started off with that analogy of uh, having a North Star and a ship that you're trying to navigate towards, and I think it's pretty apt here. Because when you, when you think about the basics of entering into a difficult conversation, the ultimate goal is to try and affect some change, whether it be change in a person or change in the workplace, whatever it is, you're having this conversation because you're looking for something to change. So that change becomes the North Star. That's that guiding light. The way you get towards that is through your vehicle, your boat, right, for the sake of this analogy. So the boat in this case is the message that you've decided to give to this person, the crux of what this difficult conversation centers around. Now you need to work out how you're going to navigate this boat through the rocky waters of a difficult conversation towards the change that you're looking for. And you've got two simple choices, right? There's a bunch of rocks in front of you, a bunch of uh, treacherous waters ahead. So what do you do? Do you barrel straight through that water and hope that you make it towards your goal? Maybe you'll be clinging onto a single plank of wood, but hey, it's all right. You made it. No, that's not good enough, right? What you want to do is you want to make sure you get to that North Star to get towards your destination through calm navigation of the situation. And that calmness is going to mean you're going to have to avoid the obstacles and you're going to have to very tacitly navigate around the problems and the, uh, the sticking points that come up in the conversation. Because your ultimate goal here is not just for you to reach that North Star, that change that you're seeking, but to get that person to want to jump on the boat with you. And I guarantee you, no one's going to want to jump on that boat when it looks like you're just heading straight for the rocks. Right? So the start here is to, uh, to really think about how you're going to navigate this conversation such that it's, a, it's, such that it's a, a calm journey and, and an appealing journey that that other person wants to get on board with so that you can affect this change together. Ultimately, what you're going to need to do to successfully navigate this is to de-escalate at all costs. And it's at all costs except one. You cannot subvert your message or your ownership of the message. Right? That's the one thing you can't give up. But everything else, you should be thinking about how do I de-escalate this at all possible costs. Before you get there, though, it's important to start off with a means of establishing some sort of human collateral between you and the other person in the room, assuming it's another person or maybe it's a group. Either way, you need some collateral. And depending on how long you've known the person or other persons or your existing working relationship will determine what your collateral balance is like before you walk into that room. Even if you've known the person particularly for a long time and have a good working relationship, I always find it helpful to start off with what I call the uh, vulnerable diversion. Before you launch into the conversation, just offer up something that makes you real. What's something that happened on the weekend? What's something you did this morning? What's the crazy embarrassing moment that happened to you recently? Offer something up that makes you real because what that does is that starts to, it's like putting out that olive branch and just reaching out to the person to say, hey, I'm real. I understand you're real too. Let's be real people in here and not just launch straight into some difficult conversation. Now, because you are two or maybe more humans in a room, there's some other basic human tendencies that are going to come up. 
The human brain is a fantastic thing, but at the core of it, right at the base of it, is this little thing called the limbic system. And I, it's, it's often referred to as our prehistoric brain, and, and it really is, both in terms of its sophistication and the, uh, the length of time that we've, we've had it in our, our evolutionary process. But it's the part of your brain that is charged with determining whether you should fight, flight, or freeze. It also makes really stunningly bad decisions on your behalf, right? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, however long you want to believe this evolutionary window has gone on for. Uh, that's, a, that's a part of our brain that we've built around. We've additively tried to improve our own abilities, but it remains at the stem. And interestingly, when we, I don't want to get too much into the physiology here, but it is quite fascinating. Um, and if you want to delve into the physiology of it, go read uh, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Um, but the interesting thing about the physiology of how the limbic system works is it is wired into our, into our nervous system in parallel with our higher order of thinking that happens up here. So that means that both of them have an equal say in what happens. But what can tilt the difference here is when the front part of the brain knows better than the back part of the brain. And what that means is that you've got to be constantly thinking about the fact that both you and this other person in the room are exactly that, you are humans. You both have that prehistoric brain. And as you're delivering this message, likely what you're telling them is going to put them right in the path of that fight, flight or fright or freeze mechanism. And so you've got to be not only keeping your limbic system in check, but watching out for theirs. When you see those signs of anger, when you see those signs of, of resentment or, or a, a point of friction coming up, that's what I mean when I say de-escalate at all costs. Pick up on those things and don't barrel towards the rocks. Right? Don't think it's all right, I'll just cling on to this and we'll get through it. Take a pause. Right? Stop to understand why that person has caused, why that thing you just said has had that reaction to the person. If you have to end the meeting, right? if you think you've reached a point where their frustration has just shut them down or, or they've become visibly upset, end the meeting. You can always come back later. There's no prize for delivering your message in, in one meeting, okay? So de-escalate at all costs, but again, there's one cost you must not give up. You must not give up the message and your ownership of the message. The first episode of this uh, series, we talked about how when you go into that room, that message has to come from you and it has to come from you with a strong amount of conviction. It's you have decided. But you can't backtrack on that. And it is, it is very, very, very tempting when you get into those situations where you know the other person is struggling. When you can feel it in your heart, you can feel the tension and you feel that sense of empathy for what the other person's going through. That's the moment when in a moment of weakness, you can start watering down your message. That doesn't do you any favors because when you walk out of that room, you've still got to enact the change that you're seeking to do. You've still got to get to that North Star. And if you take a course of action that weakens your message in that meeting, then you've now got to go back and try and rebuild that again. And that's going to be doubly hard to try and do. So you're in the room, you've had a vulnerable diversion to try and build that collateral up. You're aware of the other person and the human and their, their emotions. Now you need to start navigating this difficult conversation. For me personally, the most important thing to do when you start delivering this message is to separate the individual from the problem. And I know that sounds kind of paradoxical because of course the two are related. This wouldn't be a difficult conversation if you weren't having to talk about a problem you've got with this person. But you've got to separate these two. There is the person, the human, the, the character, right, the soul. 
And then there is what they've done or what they haven't done or what the reported issue is, or then there is the problem. And the two of them are totally separate. When you approach this from a fundamental perspective of driving a difference between the problem and the person, you unlock a very powerful way in which to frame the conversation that will help the person come with you towards affecting the change that you're trying to seek. When you focus on the actions, as in what, has, what you've observed or what has been reported, and you stay completely away from the insinuation of intent, then what you can consciously and deliberately do is shift between um, a, shame versus res- a shame-based response from the person you're talking to versus a guilt-based response. And this is based a lot on the work that I've read from Dr. Brene Brown, who um, there's a, a great series of lectures that uh, are available on Audible about this work of, of um, uh, shame versus guilt. And she's also written a fantastic book called Daring Greatly, um, which I, I strongly encourage you to read. But this, this was a real eye-opener for me, was this, this difference between a shame response and a guilt response and what it does for people. When you focus a problem and you frame a problem around it being the problem is that person, right? They did this, they were wrong to do this, you make it something that is intrinsically a problem with them, that invokes shame. And shame sets up a downward spiral. It's a really, really ugly thing because that focuses the person inwardly on themselves. They think they're the failure. They will try to think, they will try and tease apart what's wrong about them, what's wrong in their character that caused this to happen. And, and that's not where you want this to go, right? You don't want this person to turn inward and, and, and sort of suffer in, in um, you know, a sense of shame about what's happened. You want the person to change. You want to enact a change, a positive outcome for you and the business and the team or whatever else. And you do that by invoking a response that is more aligned with a guilt response. And I know it sounds weird to talk about guilt in this. Even guilt seems too negative. But compared to shame, guilt is the positive outcome here. When you frame the conversation around what the actions are, what happened, and what, that, what the ramifications are of that, or what the outcome, or, or, or what, what, what that meant for the company, and what was the knock-on effects, right? The, the consequences for the business, right? Not the person. That allows the person to understand the error in their ways, right? They can understand what they did wrong, not why they are wrong, right? They can understand what was wrong about what they did, not what was wrong about them. And that is, is fundamentally important for that person to walk out of that room with their head held high enough to be able to think immediately about, okay, I get it. How am I going to change so that this doesn't happen again? And that, that is a positive outlook, right? That is something that they can build upon. And ultimately, that's what you want. That's your role here as this navigator towards this North Star. Your role is to make sure that each of you walk out of that room positive about the fact that change can happen and change will happen. One last thing for you as the the person who's giving this difficult conversation. You have to be aware and self-aware of your tendencies and your tics in a stressful situation. And I'm super aware of of my own because I've gone through speaker training, I've given large uh, public presentations in the past, and I spend a lot of time watching myself on camera and I know what I do when I'm stressed and I know what I do when I'm struggling with something um, and I know it's a pretty ugly thing too. It's, people hate watching themselves on camera and, and it's, it's for good reason too. It's a very revealing experience. But through that, that revealing and, and that revelation, um, as uncomfortable as it is, you get to know yourself a lot better. 
and you get to know what you tend to do under stress and how that manifests itself physically. And what I'm talking about here is some people start rocking backwards and forwards. Some people's legs start jumping up and down. Some people can't resist the urge to laugh at things inappropriately. Um, th these are the things that you, you'll do without even noticing in a stressful situation. And the problem with them is that they'll become the friction points that will increase the agitation and the frustration in someone else. And it, it might sound silly to you, but, but I, I, I've noticed this in countless situations I've been in especially when I'm on the receiving end of a difficult conversation, is I will notice that one of the things that sets off that, that limbic hijack in the back of my mind is the frustration at what is this person doing? Why do they keep rocking their leg? Why is he laughing at that? That's not even funny, right? And that's, that's the, the unevolved back of my mind starting to pick up on these things that I know are just little petty frustrations. But they're petty frustrations that begin to add up. And when you combine you know, a sense of agreement with the message that you're hearing or a sense of dis disagreement or, or um, you know, disenfranchisement of what you're hearing combined with those subliminal little, you know, frustration points of what you're hearing, those are the things that begin to raise the temperature in the room, right? It's the old frog boiling in the pot thing. It's a little bit of degrees added to the water each time by each of those little, little tiny frustration points that ultimately end up with something boiling over. And if you can learn what your ticks are and what your, what your tendencies are and quell them in moments of tension, then you remove those aspects. Um, it, it, one of the kindest compliments I often get from people in the, in, in the workplace is they say to me, you know, how do you remain so calm? And I wish they knew what was going on in my head because it's anything but calm. But I've learned to try and understand or I've learned to understand how the, the lack of calm I might be sensing in my head whether it be anxiety, frustration, anger, or, or whatever, I know how that manifests physically. And I've learned to be very conscious about how that happens and how not to do that. And it helps the other person that you're talking to immensely if you can appear calm and resolute in what you're discussing. So what about if you're on the other end of the table? Maybe you're the receiver of this, uh, this unexpected news or this, this unwelcome thing that's come up in this difficult conversation. The best thing you can do is to try and approach it with perspective. And perspective is, is a, a funny word, because if you tease that apart, what is, how do we get a sense of perspective in anything? We get a sense of perspective by considering multiple dimensions. If you think about how we perceive perspective in the distance, right? Even in this video, we get a sense of perspective because my face is all focused, but, but what, what's behind me, you know, further back in, in that dimension is blurred out. It gives us a sense of perspective because we can understand something across multiple dimensions. And if you find yourself in the situation of receiving a, a difficult conversation, you need to take account of multiple dimensions to hold your perspective. If you become too laser focused on what you're hearing and worse that same limbic tendency to become fatalistic and assume the worst, then you will just be focused in on one dimension and like a, a character drawn on one piece of paper, you, you end up losing all perspective, okay? And there's, there is multiple dimensions to consider in any given conversation, but I think the most important one for you to consider when you're receiving a on the receiving end of a difficult conversation is that to remember that what you're hearing is immediately framed by two clear dimensions. First of all, there is dimension of you are being told someone's interpretation of events. It's not reality. It's not fact. It is someone's interpretation of events 
and then it's what that interpretation has led them to in terms of a course of action. So that interpretation and then that course of action is the two key dimensions of a difficult conversation typically. And that gives us an important thing to consider when we're the one receiving the message. If, and and the, the natural tendency is often to try and argue against the interpretation, because surely if you can argue against the interpretation, you can undermine the outcome, right? That's your way out of this. You, tell, you, you show the person how their interpretation is wrong, and then the, the actions can't possibly be done because their interpretation's wrong. It makes so much sense in our heads when we're receiving a difficult conversation, but it, it's just not true. It's, it's never true. Because the person's interpretation that you're hearing, that's intrinsically theirs. You're not going to change their mind on it. At best, you could hope to uh, you could hope to arrive at some sort of agreeable comparison between your view and theirs. That's not going to change the outcome. In fact, the best thing you can do is to accept the fact that the outcome is not going to change. Because if they've gone into this with the right amount of preparation and decision making and the, the right sort of due diligence, that decision is already made. The best thing you can do is to bias for listening so that when you're in the room, you can understand what is being said to you and then the course of action that's being prescribed so that then when you walk out of the room, then you can begin to process this and then you can begin to act on it. Trying to act in the room just always res uh, results in a, a course of action that you'll, you'll regret. Ultimately, you want to try and always steer the conversation as the receiver of a difficult conversation towards what is the change the person wants to seek. If you want to be successful beyond this difficult conversation, you've got to help the other person leave there with a sense of you've understood the message and the change can be had. And the way to do that is to constantly be trying to unearth what is the change they seek. Hopefully they'll outlay it beautifully clear to you and you'll understand exactly what you have to do. Like as not, you'll need to do some probing. And maybe it might even be prudent to just try and get an understanding of that um, even deeper than what you're being told, just so that there is crystal clear clarity around what change the person is seeking so that you can go about enacting that. I'm James, and this has been Paved with Good Intentions.